I'm pulling on my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for another drive to work. Okay, so last we left, we were in the middle of Urza's Saga. I think I got through H. So we are up to K. Because I have no I's or J's. A uh, Karn, Silver Golem. So he's an artifact creature, a legendary creature, uh, legendary artifact creature, and he's a golem. Uh, he costs five mana. Um, he's a four, four creature. If he blocks or is blocked, he gets minus four, plus four. So he turns from a four, four into a zero, eight. Uh, and he has the ability to uh, spend one mana, target creature, or target non-creature artifact, becomes an XX artifact creature, where X is the converted mana cost of the artifact. Um, okay, so this, this, so Karn is a character in the Wesselite Saga. So, um, originally Karn was the protector for, um, in the original version of the story, um, Gerard was sent away and Karn was his protector. Um, we, we later learned that Karn had a role in the legacy. In fact, Karn was part of the legacy. Um, but anyway, when they rewrote the story, they decided they wanted to bring Urza in. And so they decided that Karn, because we, we hadn't defined who, who made Karn when we did our, the original version of the story. So it was decided that Urza made Karn. Uh, Urza was doing temporal experiments. And the one substance capable of traveling through time unaffected, supposedly, was silver. So he made a golem out of silver. That's the story. Um, in the Weatherlight Saga, in the first part of the story, um, he was our, what we call the gentle giant archetype, which was he was really strong, but he was a pacifist. So what had happened was he had accidentally killed somebody with his strength, and so he vowed never to harm anyone again. That's where we picked up in the story. That was where Karn started. Um, and so we wanted to represent, well, we wanted him to be big and strong, but we didn't want him to harm anybody. I'm like, okay, how do you do that? So we said, okay, he's a 4-4, four, four, but in combat, he's a 0-8. So the idea is, it's really, really hard for someone to kill him, but it's, he's not going to kill anybody else. You know, he took a vow against killing anybody else, so he's not going to kill any other creatures. That's what the, the minus 4, plus 4 thing is all about. The other ability is, um, actually, interesting story. Uh, so we made a set called Vanguard, which was a series of cards that let you... You get to start the game with a variant hand size and life total, and then you get an ability. If the ability is really good, maybe your hand size or your life total is lower than normal. If it's a little weaker, maybe it's above normal. And so what happened was, we had made the Vanguard cards flavor agnostic, because um, we didn't know how we were going to flavor them. And then when it became clear that we were doing the Weatherlight Saga, we decided to take the um, cards and do characters from the Weatherlight Saga. Well, one of the characters from the Weatherlight Saga was Karn. So we looked at all the cards we had, and we decided that one of them was, uh, basically, it, it animated all the artifacts. Uh, it was um, Titania Song from, um, is that Antiquities? So the, the Titania Song was an, uh, a green enchantment that just animated all non-creature artifacts uh, equal to the converted mana cost, minimum XX creatures. Um, so we decided that we would have that be an ability. And when we were looking through the characters, we're like, well, Karn's an artifact. I guess it makes more sense that of anybody to care about artifacts, let's have Karn care about artifacts. So when we went to go design this character, this is a year later, like the Karn card had come out, and people kind of associated Karn with animating things, even though 
in the story, I mean, there was a bond between Karn and the Legacy. He was part of a legacy. So he had a bond with artifacts, but he didn't really animate them in the story. But people really liked that association. So we said, okay, I, I guess that's what he does. And so um, because of the popularity of the Vanguard card, we made his magic card do something very similar. Um, instead of just being a, a flat turns everything on, you have to activate it to turn things on. Um, but it also allows you to turn any artifact, any non-creature artifact into a creature. So you could also use it as a way to turn your opponent's thing into a creature so you can kill it with a creature kill spell, for example. Um, the Vanguard card only turns your things on, for example. But anyway, uh, that was Karn. So um, one of the things we had looked for during the Saga block was who are characters that are old enough that we could make them um, in the past. Uh, and so, uh, for example, Karn, of the Weatherlight crew, for example, Karn was the only one really old enough that it made sense that we, you know, Karn could be very, very old. He's an artifact creature. Um, and, and there's other characters that you would later see. Multani, obviously, was very old. Um, Rafelos, who's an elf, so he, he'd be relatively old. We, we definitely showed you some other characters that were actually part of the Weatherlight Saga, um, but were from farther back, or were part of the backstory, in some cases, of the Weatherlight Saga. Like, Gerard studied under Multani. Um, the reason Gerard left the Weatherlight was the death of Rafelos, which was his friend... Uh, he had studied with Rafelos and Miri under um, Multani. Anyway, but one of these days I'll do the Weatherlight Saga. Um, but that is not today. Okay, next we have Launch. So Launch is uh, an enchantment, an aura. Uh, costs one and a blue, so two mana, one of which is blue. Uh, enchanted creature gains flying. But, this is the interesting part of it, if Launch is put into the graveyard, I, I think from anywhere, you return it to your hand. Um, so the idea essentially is, if I put this on my creature and then the creature dies... Or if my opponent naturalizes um, my uh, enchantment, you know, if they get rid of the enchantment or get rid of the creature, I get it back. Um, so this was the enchantment block. We were trying to make enchantments more useful. So we made a cycle of auras that you got back. So the idea was, well, you're not going to have card advantage with these. If the creature dies, you get it back. If they destroy it, you get it back. They, you get it back. Um, so you can use it again and again. And the effects didn't have to be particularly strong, like fl- a a flight, you know, an aura that grants flying in a vacuum is not particularly strong. It's only strong in the sense that, you know, if they just destroy the creatures capable of flying, well, then you can make another creature fly. So that makes it a bit stronger. Um, the most powerful of these enchantments actually wouldn't end up in Urza's Saga, but in Urza's Legacy. So when we get to Urza's Legacy, I will talk about it. Okay, next, Lightning Dragon. Two red red for a dragon. Um, so four mana, two which is red. It has flying and echo. Uh, and it has fire breathing. It's uh, better red mana, gets plus one, plus zero to end of turn. Um, this was, I believe, the pre-release card. Uh, if you went to the Urza Saga pre-release, this was the pre-release card you would get. Um, we'd started doing pre-release cards the year before in Tempest, I believe. Tempest was the first set to have a pre-release card. Um, and so Lightning Dragon was the, the pre-release card for this set. Um, it's another example of a pretty good echo creature. Um... You know, four mana for a... Uh, uh, how big was it? I didn't write down how big it was. Um, I think it was 5-5. Five, five. It's either 4-4 four, four or 5-5. Five, five. Um, but the idea that you got a dragon with fire breathing out of the gate... Um, the fire breathing was kind of cutesy because the first turn you obviously were paying mana for the echo. So you, you probably weren't paying too much of the fire breathing. I mean, maybe late game you're paying more. But normally, if I, let's say I played in turn 4... Then in turn five, assuming I have a land, I can fire breathe it once, so I can make it, you know, um, let's say it's a four four, and I can do five damage with it. Um, and then the turn after that, I can do a whole bunch of damage with it once the echo's all paid off. So, um, 
But anyway, just a good example of an echo creature that was actually pretty powerful. Okay, next, lurking evil. Black, black, black enchantment. Uh, you can pay half your life, round it up, and if you do, this becomes a 4-4 flying whore. Okay, so there were... Um, all the colors but red had sleeping enchantments, um, and each one of them cared about conditions. Uh, the black ones, which were the lurking enchantments, uh, usually made you do something negative to yourself in order to um, activate it. It wasn't, it wasn't that your opponent had to do something, you had to do something. Uh, that's how the black ones were different. Most of the other ones, uh, I think the, the white, blue, and green ones were all, your opponent needed to do something, which turned this into a creature. And black was the only one that sort of, it was in your hand. Usually it had to be painful. You did something bad to yourself. Um, but Lurking Evil is a good example where it's essentially black, 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 you know, uh, pay half your life, you get a 4-4 four, four flying creature. Now, maybe early game, maybe, you know, th- th- this card's interesting in that it gets, it gets a little bit better as you go down in life just because the amount of life you're losing is less. Although, obviously, you're always getting closer to being, you know, to being dead. But, uh, anyway. Next, the Metronome. It's an artifact, costs four. Uh, if a spell or ability con- controlled by an opponent makes you discard it, you get four 1-1 one, one gnome tokens. So one of the things we like to do is have anti-discard strategies. And one of the popular ones back in the day was, okay, this is your hand, and your opponent makes you discard it, something positive happens for you. Um, I think uh, the, back in Alpha, there was um, the blue card that would do damage to your opponent if you had to discard it. And then in Alliances, there was a red card that did damage if your opponent made you discard it. Um, this one made creatures. Um, and uh, you uh, okay so if you discard it it did that you also could spend four mana and tap to make a 1-1 gnome and they were artifact creatures um, make a 1-1 artifact creature Um, so the idea was this is a little gnome maker but it had a built in anti-discard strategy so this card didn't get played a lot it got played a little bit as an anti like a sideboard anti-discard strategy Um, metronome I think I actually named this card um Back in the day, my friends and I used to play Dungeon Dragons, and um, my friend Andy had a gnome he played uh, named Umlot, I believe was his name. Uh, and anyway, uh, in the game, the, he was from the city, and so we dubbed him, we dubbed him Umlot, the Metronome, and I just liked the name Metronome. So I, I think I named this, and the creative team thought it was a funny name. They kept it, is my memory of this. Um, the way it used to work is when we used to do names is some of our names would be silly and we had no intention of them ever actually being real names. But every once in a while we'd take a shot at what we considered to be a real name. I don't know whether it was me trying to make a real name or me goofing around and doing something silly and they liked it. Um, but anyway, the metronome. Okay, next is Morphling. Three blue, blue. So five mana, two which is blue for a three, three shapeshifter. And it has five abilities. You heard me right. Five abilities. For a blue mana, you can untap it. Uh, also, for a blue mana, you can get, grant flying till end of turn. Also, for a blue mana, you can grant shroud till end of turn, so it can't be the target of spells or abilities. Note that shroud did not exist as a keyword yet. It was spelled out. Or you can spend one to make it plus one, minus one until end of turn. Or you can spend one to make it minus one, plus one till end of turn. Um, so the idea here is... So look, this has an interesting story. Um, so basically what happened was um, we wanted to make clones. Clone was uh, an uncommon card in Alpha. Uh, it was very popular with the players, but it had a lot of rules problems because just copying things is complicated. So for a while, the rules didn't really know how to handle Clone. Uh, but we thought it was time for Clone to return. So we put Clone in the set. I think we put it at rare, though. 
um, and we put it in the set. Uh, and then, at the last minute, like, art had been commissioned and everything, at the last minute, the rules people said, yeah, we can't make this work. This can't be clone. But the problem was we'd already made the art, and the art was, uh, you know, traditional clone art, which is two creatures that look just like each other, except one is just a little bit different. If you look, you'll see it's a little bit different. Uh, one of the morphings has a little tail. You'll see. Um, but anyway, so we're like, oh, well, we have art for, uh, you know, we have art that is sort of what we normally would use for a clone. I mean, it is very much like, get it? I'm copying it. So we're like, okay, well, we're kind of committed to a shapeshifter. Like, the art says it's a shapeshifter. There's no way around that. So the idea was, okay, what can we do? You know, we need to make a card from scratch that could be a shapeshifter. Um, so we came up with the idea of what if we made something that just gave you a lot of options for how we could change. So we first came up with the idea of, well, we'll do plus one, minus one, or minus one, plus one. So it's a 3-3 three, three creature, but you can change around its stats. And the reason we did minus one, plus one is, okay, it's got six power, six, you know, it's, we, got, we call it girth in R&D, meaning power and toughness combined. That's a nickname. Uh, it's got a girth of six. So it means you can have anything from a 5-1, because it has to have at least one toughness, to a 0-6. You know, assuming you're the mana. Then we said, well, what else can we do to it? And we liked the idea of, okay, well, flying, that's a pretty blue thing. Um, blue at the time was kind of limited on keywords, so we did untap. That's something you can do in blue. Um, and there, there are things like hermetic study. Like, I talked about hermetic study and uh, hermit crab were a good combo. Well, hermetic study was also a wonderful combo with morphling. Not that there weren't other things to do with morphling, but uh, it was a great combo with morphling. Um, and finally, we decided to do something that was kind of counterspell-ish. Sort of like, okay, I can't be the target of spells abilities, which essentially was a way to counter, counter things that targeted it. Okay, I'm going to destroy it. Oh, now, you know, you can't target it now, and it fizzles. Um, Morphling went on to be insanely popular. It's very funny, like, we tried to do one thing, had a scramble the last minute, uh, and it became became quite popular. So popular, in fact, that we've started, uh, over time, we have made other color versions of this. We made a green version and a red version, um, and uh, people keep asking us to finish the cycle, um... But it, it, it is kind of cool. It's, it's just, it's a very, it became a very iconic magic creature. It is very funny for, like, how last minute this creature was put together and then it went on to be something so iconic. It, it's a very powerful card. Um, it was particularly powerful, um, especially when you had damage on the stack, that you could sort of do damage and then change its stats so it would survive. So it both did its damage and survived the damage. Uh, that, that's no longer true. I mean, not that it's a weak card or anything, but it, it, that did make it a little bit stronger. Okay, Persecute, uh, two black-black sorcery. Choose a color, and then you look at target player's hand, and you make him discard all cards of that color. Um, so one of the things, I, I made this card just because I like having little mini-games, and I like the idea of, it's a discard card, but I kind of got to figure out like what I think is um, the threat in your hand. Now, obviously, with monocolor decks, you know, it's, it's good cybering, it's monocolor decks, they, they're all that color. Um, I mean, it's designed not to hit land, because land isn't colored. Um... But um, when they're playing against two color decks or more than two color decks, you, you start getting interesting choices. Like, okay, they're playing red and green. Am I more afraid of red things or more afraid of green things? What do I think they might have in their hand? Um, anyway, it's a, it's a pretty cool card. Uh, it's powerful, but it's, it's pretty cool. Okay, Pestilence. Pestilence is two black, black enchantment. Uh, at the end of the turn, if, if there are no creatures uh, on the battlefield, sacrifice it. Uh, and then for one black, you can deal one damage to each creature and player. So Pestilence goes all the way back to, um, to Alpha. Um, it's a fun card. It's a very, it's a very flavorful card. 
Um, a few issues with it. Um, one is it's not supposed to be common. Uh, this card single-handedly, not single-handedly, but this card is one of the major things. Urza Saga Limited was really, really warped. Uh, it, it, uh, if you went to the Pro Tour, for example, and watched people drafting, like three, four, sometimes five people would get into black in Urza Saga. Five people? That, that's, uh... So black was really powerful and really deep in common. Uh, Petulance being the biggest part of it. I mean, Petulance, Petulance wipes boards... Like, it's just not. Under nothing about it should it be common. It, it is it is a super, uber powerful card. And as a little rider, like, it goes away if there's no creatures, get it, because it's, it's, it's pestilence. And if there's nobody to carry the disease, it goes away. Um, but in limited, it's not hard to keep something around. You control sort of how much pestilence you do. Um, and it is just, it is a brutal, brutal card in limited. So the fact that this one's common is, is nutty. I mean, getting one pestilence out will win you the game. But having multiple in your deck so you can get guaranteed to draw one is... is anyway. Um, that said, uh, the other problem with it is really... Um, the flavor is super black. I mean, I guess one can argue it's black just because the flavor is so black. Um, the abilities... What's funny, in Planar Chaos, we did it in red. Uh, what do we, we call Pyrohemia, I think. Um, but anyway... The doing damage to everything. Black doesn't really do damage to things. Um, black can make players lose life. It can give minus one, minus one to creatures. Um, you could clearly argue that, look, it can kill creatures. Look, it can damage players. You know, this is just it doing it in a way that's simple. Um, but uh, anyway, I, this is the kind of card that we don't really do much in black anymore. Black used to do... We, this is the kind of thing that every once in a while we do in black, and we really have not done black. It's more of a red thing now than a black thing. Um, I will say, in a vacuum, this card is a beauty. This card is a thing of beauty from a design flavor standpoint. It's super flavorful, and it, I mean, it's potent. Probably a little too powerful, but it is It is a very cool, flavorful, you know, neatly designed card. I, I give it big props to Richard for making it. It's a really cool card. Um, I give uh, slops to us for putting it in common in Urza Saga. Um, that, that was a big mistake. But anyway, pestilence. Okay, moving on is Frexian Processor. Okay, so here's another story of a card we tried to make that uh, got, a, got changed at the last minute after art was done. Um, well, actually, well, yeah, I think it was after art was done. Okay, so if you guys have ever played Mirrodin, there's a card called Soul Foundry, where you exile a, card, a creature card from your hand um, and you imprint it, and then that, that artifact makes... Uh, token copies of that card. Um, it was called Clone Machine in design. Um, anyway, Clone Machine was this card. Frickson Processor was Clone Machine, was Soul Foundry. Um, and the rules people came to me, you, you see a theme here, the rules people uh, were, were very naysayer back in the day, uh, and said to me, yeah, we, you, you can't do that. It doesn't work. And they wouldn't let me do it. Um, and I tried and I tried. I really, I really thought that... Uh, Clone Machine was an awesome... I, I still think Clone Machine is an awesome card. Soul Foundry is an awesome card. Um, but anyway, I couldn't convince them to do that, so we had to change it again. Uh, but the art had come in, and it showed a creature being made. In fact, I think it shows... I think it was one of those things where... I think you see a creature, and then another copy of the creature is being made, kind of hinting that it's making multiple of the same creature. Um, so we, we said, okay, we have to make something that makes creatures and can make multiples of the same creature. So we came up with the Frexian... Oh, Frexian Process, what does it do? It's an artifact that costs four... When it enters a battlefield, you choose some amount of life, and then four and tap make XX minion, black minion creature tokens, where X is the life paid when you played it. So if I pay 10 life, it can make 10 tens. If I pay 19 life, it can make 19 19s. If I pay five life, it can make five fives. Um, it's sort of how much do I want to risk? 
Um, so for those that have never watched, if you ever want to go online and watch a really good match, um, John Finkel against Bob Marr, two future Hall of Famers, are playing in the finals of 2000, the World Championship 2000 in Brussels, Belgium. And they are playing the same deck. Both decks have Fretton Processor in it. Um, it is one of the most dynamic, exciting matches. It's a really cool match. I think it went to five games. Uh, and the Frexian Processor, in fact, the reason John Finkel won that and became world champion uh, is because Bob Marr made a subtle error with how much life to use for his Frexian Processor. Now, to be clear, to be clear um, it wasn't like everybody was aware he made a mistake. It's like after analyzing everything with days to think about it, we realized that he'd made a mistake. I'm sure John realized he made a mistake the second he did it. But, um, but Bob had made a slight mistake that, uh, that John capitalized on and won. But anyway, it was a really good game. There, there were giant creatures, 10-10s, 19-19s, giant creatures swinging back and forth. Uh, it was pretty cool. So seriously, if you've never checked out, it's, it's a very neat match. And I'm pretty sure it is online. Okay, next, Pouncing Jaguar. Uh, it's a 2-2 for a single green mana with Echo. That's all. That's a simple Echo. Just a... Uh, uh, Two power single for one mana, one mana two two. Um, I know for a while there's a deck called Stompy, which was a really good uh, mono green weenie deck. I think they played Pouncing Jaguars. Uh, I know they played Wild Dogs, which we'll get to eventually. Um, but anyway, um, not sure whether they played Pouncing Jaguar or not. Some versions of Stompy might have played Pouncing Jaguar. Okay, next Priest of Gix, two and a black for a two one. Uh, at the time it was a minion, now it's a human cleric minion. Um, and when it enters the battlefield, it adds black, black, black. So this is kind of a free spell, but not, exa- not exactly the free mechanic. The free mechanic is when it enters the battlefield, untap the number of lands equal to what you would have paid to cast it, essentially. Um, this just gives you the mana. So this kind of uh, is an ETP dark ritual, essentially. But what makes it interesting is it costs three mana. So essentially, if you have three mana, you get three mana back. He even um, converts it to black. I mean, if you have non-black mana, he, I mean, for good or for bad, he converts it to black. Um, but anyway, he definitely is, uh, this was a very powerful card, so I saw a bunch of tournament play, um, just because a, a 2-1 creature that essentially doesn't cost you mana. Uh, and more so than that, um, there are effects and stuff where you could replay him and things where you could, there's ways to sort of net, to gain mana off him versus just breaking even. Okay, on to another priest. Priest of Titania. One and a green for a 1-1 elf. Tap, add green, equal to the number of elves in play on the battlefield. By the way, not just your elves, all elves. Um, this was, uh, for a long time, in fact, I'm sure this is still played in Legacy, um, the elf deck. This is a major, major player in the elf deck. Uh, this is the thing that allows elf decks to just sort of, you know, turn to 11, if you will, that just allows you to sort of ramp up to huge amounts of, of um, mana. It, it's funny, because Gaia's Cradle gets you um, a green mana for every creature you have in play. Um, and Priest of Titania, uh, when you are playing an elf deck, so let's assume your, your opponent has no elves, just you have an elf deck and all your creatures are elves, essentially is that. Um, the only difference is, you go, it, it, uh, Chaos Crater is a legendary land, you can have one. Uh, the Priest of Titania is not legendary, you can have four of them. So this thing really can produce a lot of mana. Um, and like I said, it was very powerful. Next, Raze. Okay, so Raze was a sorcery. Um, uh, what it did is, uh, as an additional cost of pay it, you had to destroy a land. Or when you cast it, sorry. When you cast it, sack a land. And then destroy target land. So essentially for one mana, it's like, I destroy one of your lands of my choice, and I destroy one of my lands of my choice. So each of us are losing a land, 
But I choose what those lands are. Uh, and Rays was so good. Um, if you look at the 1999 World Championship, um, the finals was Kai Buda versus um, Mark Lapine. And Mark Lapine was playing a really aggressive um, land destruction deck. Um, and Rays was part of that. That uh, during this time period, we just gave you, we, we gave you enough uh, land destruction things in red that you, you really could do something pretty destructive. And the fact that this costs one mana. Yes, yes, it costs your land, but if your deck is about just getting rid of lands, like if your opponent isn't doing something, you got time to build up. Like you're eventually going to get ahead of them. If you're destroying their lands and they're not destroying yours, fine, fine, fine. You'll, you'll trade one for one from times just to keep them from developing at all. So anyway, I made raise one of the cards after the fact, like, what did I do? That was a big mistake. But anyway, it was very powerful. Okay, Remote Isle is a land. Enters the battlefield, tap. You can tap to add blue, and it cycles for two. So it's a, this is one of the five cycling lands. I, I mean, I, I, there's also the colorless one. Uh, these are all enter the battlefield, tap. So there's five, um, one of each color. Um, and uh, we made these just because we thought that cycling would go really well on land. Uh, everything was cycling two. When we bring these back in Onslaught, we actually upgrade them and make it, instead of costing two, costing C, which makes them better, obviously. Um, these still got played, especially in... Um, there were cycling decks and stuff. Got played in cycling decks. And, and, and even... It still was useful from time to time if you had a slower deck. If the fact that your lands came in tap didn't matter as much to you because you're playing more a controlish deck, sometimes the ability to trade later lands in, into cards was, was really valuable. Okay, Rescind... Rescind is an instant, costs two blue, blue, so four mana, two which is blue, counter target spell, and then untap up to four lands. So this is the free spell counter spell. Um, now, here's something interesting about this. We've repeated this in the basic set. We've not done that with very many um, free mechanic spells. And the reason that this is allowable is what we learned is being reactionary matters a lot. That when I can use my free mechanic to help generate mana for me, it's problematic. But when I don't control when I use it, you know, when it's like on my opponent's turn and reaction to their spells, when it's not a good window for me to be untapping my stuff, it's nowhere near as powerful. So we were able to actually reprint this card because reactive free spells aren't nearly as problematic. Um, like there's a lot of other free mechanics, uh, free mechanic cards we would never reprint, especially in a core set. Uh, but Rescind was, I believe, in multiple core sets. So, um, it does say that sometimes when you have something that's broken, it doesn't mean every aspect of it's broken. You know, you have to understand how and why it's broken. Okay, let's see how, how many... Uh... Okay, so... Um, I don't think I'm going to finish today, but uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna make, to make a noble attempt here. Okay, next, Season Marshal. Um, hold on one second. Something in the middle of the road I didn't want to hit. Okay, Season Marshal. Um, it is two white, white for a 2 2 human soldier. Um, when it attacks, you tap target creature. Um, this is something we do all the time right now, but it is something that we didn't do. Um, we didn't do a lot when we. Um, when we. Uh, I think like when we made this, this might be the first time we did this ability. Like one of the interesting things about going back and looking at old magic sets is. Um, like, like I, I, I told the story about how like I, I had I studied film in, in school, so we watch film classes. You watch a film and you're like, yeah, 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 whatever. And they're like, no, 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 no. Like we watch like uh, the, the one I was talking about, the Great Train Robbery, which looks 
when you, when you first see it, it, lo- it looks almost amateurish. You know what I'm saying? It looks like some kids made it. And they're like, no, 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 this is early, early film. See here where they're at one place and they cut and they're at another place and they cut back into the first place and it conveys that the, the events of those two places are going on simultaneously. Yeah, that didn't happen. This is where they, they created that. This is where they came up with that language in film. You know, and the point is, it's such a thing that's just an everyday place that you're so used to that it doesn't even think like it. But like somebody had to go, that had to not exist, and somebody had to make it exist. Um, so, Caesar Marshall's good. Job. I think this is the first card that ever did this. Like this is now just a staple thing White does. But like at some point, someone had to go, "Hey, here's a neat idea for White." Um, so, like one of the cool things about that is, I mean, this is just a really good example of um, how one of the neat things about going back and looking at old cards, look at the history, like. I talk a lot about how this is a history of um, magic podcast at times. It's also a history of magic design podcast that we've learned a lot over the years. And one of the things I love is going back and looking at sets and saying, oh, 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 this is where we came up with that. Like, I'm pretty sure Season Marshall is the first time we did this. That's where, like, okay, uh, you know, they tap trigger to tap something. Like, White can tap things, and we had tappers before this. You know, Master Decoy goes back to Mirage, I believe. So White could tap things, but just the idea of saying, oh, well, what if we made a, an attack trigger a tap? You know, it, it, the timing's perfect. It, you know, um, it, it, it's newer order friendly. It, you know, reduces the amount of choices the opponent had to make. It's just done at the right time where it's thematic, it's flavorful. Um, it's just neat seeing that happen and going, oh, that's what we figured out to do that. You know, that, that is pretty cool. So I, I definitely like, um, I don't know, I like when we go back and look at things. And, I mean, the, the designer in me definitely is always excited. So I realized I forgot a card I meant to talk about. So I'm going to go back. Um, back to P. Uh, I, for, I forgot to talk about Frexian Tower. So this is a land. You tap to add a colorless mana. Or tap, sack a creature, add black, black. Um, so the interesting thing about this card was um, we made a cycle of lands. So the white land is Sarasanctum. The blue land is Salarian Academy. The black land was um, Frexian Tower. The red land was, was it Shivan Gorge. And the green land was Gaia's Cradle. Um, Shipping Gorge, right? Yeah, Shipping Gorge is correct. I'm about, to, I'm about to talk to that soon, maybe. Maybe this podcast, maybe next podcast. Um, so anyway, people, because the white, blue, and green ones work very similarly, tap, add seed to your mana pool, I mean, add a, color, a certain color to your mana pool equal to um, some, some permanent play. You know, add white equal to enchantments, blue equal to artifacts, green equal to creatures um, that you control. Um that the black and red didn't feel like they fit part of that cycle, but you know, we, we did have a legendary land with, that had black in it and one that had red in it, um, and so they were tied to colors. Um, but it, it's one of those things where we tied some of them so closely that the others didn't feel connected. Um, the interesting thing is that um, Shivan, not Shivan Gorge, uh, Frexian Tower actually ended up being a playable deck. Um, one of the major reasons is something I did in Urza's Destiny, uh, is I made a I I made a theme in Earth's Destiny of being leaves play triggers things that when they died actually I guess they were death triggers um, when they put in the battlefield from play triggers um, and so having th- I made some very powerful ones the most a powerful one probably was Academy Rector which when it died you got to go through your library find an enchantment and put it into play um, in fact I, I had I, I had I also had one that did creatures. Anyway, I made some powerful, and uh, Urza's Destiny, we'll get to Urza's Destiny, we'll talk all about this, but uh, I also had a card that was uh, sort of a new Necropotence um, called Yogma's Bargain, 
And so you needed a way to sacrifice your um, your rector to go get your bargain. And so it turns out Frexing Tower was very efficient. It lets you sacrifice creatures, lets you get mana. Um, so it happened to fit the metagame really well. So Frexing Tower was... Even though people complain about it not being up to snuff with some of the other lands in the cycle, it was still very good. It still saw play. Um, it was still a powerful card. So... Um, I don't know. I feel like Fruxing Tower was not... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, the, the biggest problem also was there aren't five... Per, or at least at the time, there weren't five permanent types. Um, so as far as... You know, there is land, which tapping equal to land is a little crazy, and Planeswalkers didn't exist. And that's the five permanent types, so it wasn't even a cycle we could completely finish that way. Okay, next. Sarah Avatar. This is another cool card. So four white, white, white for a star, star avatar... Uh, and its power and toughness were equal to your life total. Uh, and then it said, if, you, if, if uh, Sarah Avatar goes to the graveyard from anywhere, shuffle it into your library. Um, that last ability was just, this was such a good reanimation target uh, that we didn't want you to be able to reanimate it. Um, you know, for example, it costs you seven mana, three of which is white. So if you pay seven mana, you get something pretty potent. And um, you know, something each of your life can be pretty potent. It's seven mana, so later in the game, usually it's not a 20-20. By the time you get to seven mana, um, but if you can reanimate it, especially back in the day when we had really cheap reanimation, you know we had reanimation for one and two mana. Um, we didn't want you like, you know, somehow dumping this into your into your uh, graveyard and then on turn one or two or three or something, you know, getting a twenty twenty. That was pretty potent. So we, that's why the writer's in there. Um, this was a really popular card. Um, the funny thing about this card is it is more. It seems a little more powerful than it is. Um, if you actually have to cast it for, for seven mana, three which is white, um, it's a little bit harder to use. The, thing, the other thing that's cool about this card is white is the life gaining color. So not only can you play it, but, but when you play in white, you can play it with life gain. Um, and so that makes it better. Uh, the problem at the time was life gain sucked. Um, so this became a very fun casual deck, which is I have a lot of life gain in a Sarah Avatar. So it's like, you're having trouble dealing with me because I keep gaining life. I'm being very defensive. And then the thing that I'm going to kill you with is this giant creature that often was bigger than 2020. If, if I can get my life total higher than 2020 because I'm doing a lot of life gain. Um, never, I, I don't think this card was ever... I mean, I might be wrong. I don't remember, I don't remember this being a, a big card in any sort of tournament setting. Um, but um, it, was, it was much beloved. It was, it was a very casual, friendly card. Okay, my final one today is Sarah Sanctum. Um, so this was the land where uh, it's legendary land. Tap to add a white mana for every enchantment uh, you have on the battlefield. Um, funny thing is, this card had to live in the shadows of Telerian Academy and Gaia's Cradle. And the answer is, when you compare it to Telerian Academy, this card is way worse. You know, Tolerian Academy gets to do artifacts. There are zero-drop artifacts. You can actually, on the turn one, drop a number of zero-cost artifacts, and Tolerian Academy on turn one is tapping for a huge amount of mana. Enchantments aren't that way. The enchantments have mana costs, and, you know, there aren't a lot of even cheap enchantments that are really tournament-level cards. Um, you compare Sarah Sanctum even to Gaia's Cradle, it's kind of weak, because... Um, you know, there's just a lot of cheaper creatures, and there's creatures that produce mana. You know, there's things that are... Magic makes one-drop creatures like we want you to have a curve. So there are just good, efficient, one-drop, tournament-quality creatures that we make. So, Player Academy was, like, crazy, crazy good, and Gaia's Cradle was really good. 
So a lot of times people think of Sarah Stanton as being weak, not weak, really strong card, very powerful card. It's only in, I mean, if we had made this card in a vacuum and Talon Academy Gaius Cradle didn't exist, it would be a powerhouse. It is just, you know, it's like, it's just the weakest, it's like, you know, it's, it's part of the triplets and the, and the two other, two other triplets are just bigger. But uh, this is a big triplet. This is a powerful one. You know, this, is, this was a really powerful card. And it did see play. And there are people that were using it. And there were cool things you could do with it. Um, I know there were enchantment transfers decks and things that were enchantment-centered already that really used this to good effect. But anyway, um, do not dismiss the Sarah Sanctum. It's actually a pretty powerful card. Um, Sarah Sanctum, by the way, was in the story. It was the realm that Sarah had designed. And so anyway, it represented that. It was actually not on Dominaria. But anyway, I'm here at my daughter's school, and that means that it's the end of my drive to work. So instead of uh, talking magic, it's time for me to be making magic. I'll talk to you guys next time. Bye-bye.